Welcome to Lateral Conversations. My name is Thomas Mark. This is a podcast about the evolution of consciousness, psyche and culture. I speak here with people who have something important to contribute to the development of spirit and society. My guests are therefore artists, philosophers, academics or activists, people not only with great ideas, but also the willingness to put them into the world. By doing so, I hope to contribute to the evolution by finding and exploring ideas and finally providing them to you. There's nothing more powerful, Victor Hugo once said, than an idea whose time has come. And if such a time for an idea has come, we can only find out by talking about them. Jeremy Johnson is an author, editor, teacher and podcaster. He has worked as a staff editor for the Reality Sandwich magazine and contributed to publications such as the Evolve magazine, Disinfo, Evolve and Ascent, the Conscious Lifestyle magazine and others. He is the host of the Mutations podcast and the author of Seeing Through the World, Gene Gebser and Integral Consciousness, published at Revelo Press. So I was very happy that Jeremy agreed to join me uh, at my podcast. We talked a lot about uh, integral consciousness, not so much um, from the Weberian perspective, that is Ken Wilber's perspective, but more from Gene Gebser's perspective. Gene Gebser, that was a philosopher, a linguist and a poet who described the structures of consciousness and... Uh, who was, so to say, uh, a huge influence on the works of Ken Wilber. But as it turns out, and what Jeremy described so beautifully in this new book, is that he had a completely different approach to, to integral consciousness. And not only what that entails, but also how, how it emerges. So... In the course of the podcast, we talked a lot about different narratives, uh, how we conceptualize um, the emergence of, of integral consciousness. That is to say, we're trying to leave behind um, more rational narratives of progressive development and talk more about spontaneous emergence and spontaneous, discontinuous, non-linear leaps of, leaps of emergence. Yeah, and uh, I would like to encourage everybody to read his fantastic book. So um, there would be so much more to say, but I guess the best way is just to give way now to the actual interview. Um, I wish you all the best. Enjoy this one. And take care. So, Jeremy, welcome to this podcast. Thank you, Tom. So, I think uh, the big news, obviously, is the uh, is Notre Dame and the nearly complete destruction of that cathedral in Paris. And in preparation of this podcast, I was wondering um, what you are thinking about that, or maybe what. Um, Jean Gebser 
um, would have thought about this because the amount of attention uh, which is produced uh, in social media and the mainstream media is quite astonishing so and so yeah um, I was I was wondering what do you think about that kind of that attention which is directed at that old gothic building yeah um, it's been of course all over social media in this uh, at the time of this recording I've had many exchanges with um, with friends uh, I personally posted a, an Orson Welles uh, clip from F for Fake. It's a great little documentary Orson Welles made towards later on in his life. Um, and he has a moment where he's discussing Chartres Cathedral, actually, and, and the impermanence of these um, immense works of creativity and art that uh, human cultures generate. And uh, he essentially says uh, something to the lines uh, of, of be of good heart, right? Cry, cry the dead artists of the living past. Our songs will all be silenced, but what of it? Go on singing. And I, I just, I couldn't help but feel that as I heard, you know, that the, the Parisians and, and, and citizens in France were all singing outside. They were singing songs uh, and watching uh, Notre Dame burn. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what really what can do, one can do, but to be present for for such a thing. Um, there's of course so much symbolic meaning in, in in history for a building, you know, nearly being a millennia old. Um, where you know, in this moment of fiery consummation, all of that past somehow is is um, released from its distance, right? And it sort of becomes present, and everybody intensely becomes aware aware of what this thing was and what it meant as it's ending, right? Or perhaps as it's transforming. So uh, those were kind of my initial reflections, you know, the, the connecting with the, the loss, the mourning of something going away, but then also in that loss, there's this truly deep sense of connection in a way that perhaps none of us really um, understood we had with it as it was going away. Um, so th this notion of the past kind of being present is a very kind of a Gibsarian idea as well. Um, so uh, it was a moment of connection across time and I think across culture. And uh, it's certainly a moment to, to consider not only the impermanence of things that we consider even to be ancient and timeless, but also that you know, the world is still in this process of, of death and rebirth, right? There's still transformation happening, even for the, the stone forests as uh, Orson Welles described them. So that's a that's a great documentary and i i love that one f of fake it's a good one um but you know uh, like I, I was thinking also on the lines of that that, uh, that the gothic cathedral is something like a cave you know like a representation like a, what you just said like a like a monumental representation of nature in a way and refers back to to a different state or structure of consciousness so and and when I, when i was reading your book it was like you know you, you were saying that these, these structures, these old structures are still there, are still active, you know, and, and, and so maybe, maybe that's also a reason why, why we are reacting to this so much, because it's still there and these structures are still there and have so much importance to us. Mm, mm. I, I think so. I think, um, again, that, that, that immensity of the past, the intensity of the past surging forth, is not just a linear past. You're right, there is... I mean, Notre Dame was part of 
sort of the late medieval civilization with its Gothic architecture and the birth of humanism, but also its kind of um, beautiful rendering of not only uh, human nobility, Orson Welles talks about that in that documentary, but the the cosmic uh, theandry, right, right, the sort of creative cosmos that we are enveloped in, and it was a celebration of our of our participation in it, and that uh, insight, that 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 worldview, that structure um, is still present. Perhaps it's latent in us. Um, so perhaps that's part of why we we still are gener generally drawn to places like that and sacred sites and holy sites because there is something in us that acknowledges what that thing is doing even if we can't articulate it in the same way perhaps that someone in the 11th uh, 1100s could do you know um even if we couldn't participate in it in that way there's nevertheless something about it that we're drawn to and it's a sacred site too even before it was notre dame there there was um i think it was a uh, the temple of jupiter and before that, some other pagan sites. So there, there is something even about uh, geography and location that kind of even connects deeper to another deeper structure. Like Epster talks about the magical structure with the, the, the vital energy of a space, right? Sure. Um, that has a kind of a numinosity to it. So that's another, that's another layer that this is sort of this disaster or catastrophe has kind of opened up in us. So sometimes it can be positive in that sense and that it reconnects us with things that, um, again, that are under the surface and we had probably been too distanced from to acknowledge it uh, without otherwise something like this happening. Sure. No, it's, it's also a question of identity, I think. And, and I think maybe, maybe Europeans feel that a little bit more than uh, Americans because the Europeans have such an old history. I mean, I live here now in, in Palma in Mallorca and there's this, this old cathedral and it's built like on the ruins of, as you said, like, older ruins and older holy places so so to say and and now they are they're even integrating more gaudi elements in it and more naturalistic forms into into that cathedral so did you ever visit europe for that no no i haven't i've i've only been to europe once actually for the integral european conference in budapest and um right hungry yeah and when so, was that oh that was uh last year that was all oh, right year. okay no. mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I've been I've been a pretty typical American, just sort of <laughs> staying on the um, on the East Coast for the most part. So. Right. So, but you wrote a, a wonderful book, I must say, seeing through the world. I I not fully read it now because it's it's so dense. It's beautifully written, and I, I liked your approach very much. That I want I wanted to tell you this because it's like I must confess I've never read Gebser, so that is my. Um, I have to I have to say this, so it's a little bit shameful, but I never did. So for me, it was like a fresh wind of of perspective and insight, and it's it reminds me a little bit of the German philosopher Sloterdijk. What, what I want to talk about is I had a podcast uh, with Bonita Roy like a couple of weeks back, and um, we talked about the different models you can have in regard of emergence of consciousness. So you have like this Wilburing approach this developmental approach. And that what you, what you are describing in this book is now a different perspective on the emergence of consciousness and the emergence of those structures of consciousness. And you go about and talk about mutations. So how could you talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you, Tom, about, about the book. Um, sure. it, it's, it's kind of an honor to be compared to somebody like uh, Slaughter I, I very much enjoy his writing as well. Um, 
but so so yeah I, I really enjoyed your podcast with with Bonita and I feel that over the years just being somewhat familiar with Bonita's work she's doing something very similar and articulating something very similar that Gebser is doing in ever-present origin um it's this idea that um he described it as the phenomenology of consciousness or the phenomenology of awakening consciousness. Um, and we normally assume that this process is developmental or following particular stages or um, in a sequence, in a kind of a logical sequence of unfolding. Um, and at, at surface glance, I think it's very easy to, to, to fall into that. I think we are trained to think like that. I think uh, what Benita was saying, the, style of thinking in modernity and even post-modernity is still very much in that but there is a kind of i think she described it as a sort of an existential turn right um that i think Kepser was was surprisingly you know for a man in the 1940s and having these insights in the 1930s um uh ahead of his time in a way or, or, or incipient or latent um but the idea is that the structures of consciousness um are discontinuous mutations where they sort of crystallize a dimension of, of, of origin, a dimension of creative consciousness that kind of flesh it out. It sort of brings itself into, into time and usually goes through some kind of crisis. And then there's a new one that kind of, so there's this ongoing form of sort of creative self-transformation in consciousness. And there is some layering going on, but it's, it's almost besides the point to try to, order it in a sequence because um, they're just so different from one another. They don't really neatly fit into each other in Gebser's description. They're, they're more of these living processes, these dynamic um, modes of being, phenomenological being in the world that have such a profoundly different orientation to like kind of pile one on top of the other is actually to completely misunderstand what came before, right? Like right. you were just talking about uh, Notre Dame, the cosmology and the structure that was present in, you know, the medieval world um, had a kind of an excellence or a, an insight into reality that moderns, which are more kind of spatial oriented and linear oriented, have missed and have lost, right? We, we've lost access to that. It's not that it's folded neatly uh, into this sort of hierarchy of, of, of becoming. Right. Um, so, yeah, so Gebser was describing this back in the 1940s, that the structures of consciousness emerge, but they're not developmental. They're not progressive. Um, and in fact, in some ways, there's a kind of a progression away from uh, these more participatory modes that we see in the earlier structures. Um, so there's a gain and a loss always mm. in this sort of dimensional unfolding. Um, and again, you know, we can talk about things like the emergence of ego and individuation and, and a separate self sense and sort of the emergence of the scientific materialist oriented world that kind of gets what matter is doing to some degree and that we can build airplanes and, and go to the moon. And uh, that kind of style of thinking is certainly one dimension, but it's sort of one in this larger whole that makes up the human being. Um, so I really did appreciate Bonita was, was describing this as well, that, that when you actually start to talk about, when you enter into these new styles of integral thinking and, and these new concepts, the very idea of a ladder or um, developmental stages or a hierarchy or, or, or steps ceases to be something that makes sense or explains the, the process as a whole. It's, because it's, not it's still only, a modernistic way of yeah. describing. So mm. Exactly. It's not only... Um, 
yeah, exactly. It's not only a, a new way of thinking, but it, in retrospect, we start to look at emergence as a whole in this much more nonlinear complex way. And so the maps themselves have to be kind of rewritten to embody these, these dynamic complex processes. So now, now you're seeing nonlinear and you did say discontinuous mutations. Would you expound a little bit on that? Because I think that's a very important point. I and I say this because, you know, when, when, when you are communicating with different people, like in the, in the internet forums, I, I always had the feeling that, the, that this developmental narrative prohibited that the, that the people actually in, inhabit that stage they're supposed to talk about. You know, you know what I mean? So, so, would, exactly. you talk, so would you talk about this nonlinear way of progression? Is progression even the right term for that or how would you frame that mm. so rather than progression we can we can think of a few things right like there's a few contradictory things and they feel they feel like they make a larger whole but um, they only make a larger whole in when you take a step back and see how all the different pieces are kind of coalescing together so it, it it's not that emergence can happen or that um, unfoldment can happen or that even um, eventually there's some kind of integrative process going on. It's, it's just that, you know, evolution cultural evolution, which Gepser didn't use that word, but um, you know, William Irwin Thompson uses that word. And of course we all use it, but in the process of cultural evolution, it looks a little bit more like um, a, a labyrinth, you know, it's a sort of uh, a meandering a few steps forward and then a few steps back, a kind of a collapse, um, in, in chaos uh, theory, they talk about chaotic bifurcations, right? Um, and then it sort of redoubles on itself and kind of emerges in a new way. And if you look at the history of the things that Gebser's describing in Ever-Present Origin, or even um, what other theorists like uh, Marshall McLuhan or Weimar and Thompson are describing in their own approaches, um, you see these kind of like approaches as kind of groping towards a thing and then it collapses and then a new way going towards it. So as a whole, I think human emergence, the emergence of human consciousness looks more like these natural systems, these forms that we see in nature in terms of morphology and temporics and, and mutation. You know, it, it is discontinuous, you know, like Stephen Jay Gould. I mentioned uh, Gould and uh, um, Niles Eldridge about um, uh, these, these uh, in evolutionary theory, they basically postulated that um, mutations and evolution happen in these sort of spontaneous bursts that it's not just a nice linear sequence of gradual adaptation sure. but that they're almost like these plateaus where um it, it kind of happens very very quickly and there's there's new speciation very quickly i think there's something about these patterns in nature that also reflect what's going on in in, in the unfoldment of human consciousness um so by non-linear as well Again, it's this idea that you know the past has the past structures have things that we've lost, and the future structures also have things that emerge and are, are important as well. Um, but it no longer makes sense to see them in sort of a neat line and a neat sequence. Right. Um, rather, and we can go into it too. It's this idea that the whole notion of sequence and development and Bonita Roy, which she was talking about structures, is funny because. Gepser uses structures, but he's using it a little more like Benita's using processes. Um, uh, these, these ways of thinking about sequence and causality and development and directionality actually all have to do with the mental structure of consciousness. It just has to do with one 
particular structure of unfolding that we've inhabited for the past few thousand years and have really kind of crystallized and are in the process of trying to emerge from in, in terms of what's going on today and how we're starting to think differently with, um, with uh, the patterns in nature and everything that I was just mentioning. Right. So, I was just thinking Stuart Kaufman, you know him, mm -hmm. complexity theory, yeah. and, and he talks also about this discontinuous leaps, which can be very spontaneous and, and bring forth new forms in a very short um, amount of time in relationship to like the traditional Darwin uh, theory of, of, of evolution. Yeah, and there's, there's some interesting parallels too, like Epser, for instance, in his early years was sort of a, a scholar of poetry and he was more he, he was brilliant uh, brilliant with language brilliant with sort of understanding etymology I, I describe this in in the Gepser class that I'm teaching right now that there can almost be sort of an integral etymology that we develop from looking at his work because of how he's able to um, trace constellations of meaning and intensity in language and sort of describe how like Owen Barfield the the English uh, Uh, poet and, and philosopher, um, how through language you can see the structures of consciousness happening. Um, and you can kind of get in contact with perhaps some of the older structures with just the turns of phrase that we use by tracing mm -hmm. them to their older versions or variations. Um, but uh, in Gepser's time, he was looking at Rilke, he was looking at poetry and the sort of the new explosion of like bo the bohemians and and the kind of artwork they were all doing but even in our time there's still um writers who are discussing like the kind of the breakdown of the linear narrative in in literature like um i've just been reading this wonderful book by jane allison called uh, meander spiral explode right and um she's essentially giving all of these examples of these authors who are rethinking the text not as a sort of linear sequence but as a kind of a, a hypertext or, or, or texture, right? That it's sort of these woven fabrics of meaning and the way you can generate a story isn't necessarily beginning, middle and end. Right. You can meander, spiral, explode. You can have discontinuous nodes of, of pieces that overall by the end of the story begin to generate this emergent picture. And I think that these kinds of styles of thinking and description and understanding how things form through time. Like more on the lines of David Foster Wallace and in Infinite Jazz, like this? Like that, uh, like uh, um, uh, Calvino's um, Invisible Cities, he described his, his story arc, not as an arc at all, but as a crystal with different fragments that were close to each other in proximity, but only kind of made sense as you got to the end is sort of the bigger picture. Right. So those styles of thinking about how, how does emergence happen, uh, there's many different ways to do it. And, and I think our fixity on the linear arc, whether it's the arc of history and developmentalism or the arc of our narrative and our storytelling, we're beginning to see um, attempts to think in this nonlinear way right. in, in terms of what I've been describing. Bonita made that point too about the fractal, right? That, that, um, I love that metaphor she used of uh, the glasses in water and, and how the structuralist sees three glasses, but then the, the process oriented individual sees three glasses immersed in water. And so the fluidity, they're all connected, you know? So I think with that style of um, inhabiting the world, Gebser would describe it as a perspectival. Um, you are naturally kind of getting that there is this sort of fluidic whole that everything's a part of. So, um, 
you know, things that seem to be separate from one another actually have these dynamics that you're actually very, very aware of and appreciate. And you're, you're not getting lost in fragmentation, cultural fragmentation or social fragmentation or social deconstruct. These things don't become an obstacle. Uh, they become uh, the, the actual emerging space that new styles of thinking and being navigate in and make art out of and meaning out of very naturally. Right. right. So you mentioned the term a pers perspective. So let me um, read like a sentence from your book. It's like um, page 136. Consciousness moves towards its intrinsic wholeness. We have been roused to wakefulness in the mental, but in the integral, we are being initiated into the lucidity of origin. So I think I would like to talk about this a little bit because, you know, my, we, we are so familiar with Wilbur's view on consciousness and integral and so on. And, and what I have is like two questions, like how would you describe the difference between Wilbur's notion of integral and, and the view of Gebser of integral and, Leading up to that, what, what is meant by origin? I think this is a very complex term, but you, you tie it in to, to integral in the, in the Gebserian way. So, Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think the, the biggest difference is that uh, in Wilbur's style, and I, I discovered Gebser mainly through Wilbur. So I, I, I read much of Wilbur's work, and it really was through his work that I started to kind of... Uh, uh, To sort of spin off and read everybody else that he was he was reading. Um, but what was so attractive about Gebser for me at the time was first of all how he oriented himself towards um, tangible phenomenological encounters with particular works of art, like um, a mask with without a mouth or um, uh, cave paintings. Or he really stayed with the work of, of creativity and tried to kind of develop a kind of a sympathy with it and with the individual who made it and sort of get into their world in a very embodied way. Um, so, but right at the outset, what he says at the beginning of ever present origin is essentially that, you know, um, origin is before the beginning, but it also includes the past, present, and future in the present. So there's this immediate sense of concretized, tangible presence, which is the, the, the opening into integrality. Um, there's no, discussion about putting things or synthesizing things or adding things together or creating a kind of a, a brilliant crystalline map that sort of integrates everything and finds a, a place for everything. It's a very different feeling tone, I guess, uh, in, in the approach. That's where it started. But um, another big thing would, would probably be, you know, A, there's no development in Gebser. He was very critical of that, as we've been talking about. Um, he had a different understanding of it, but he was also very critical of developmentalism and positivism and progress because of the context he, he was emerging out of with, uh, you know, living through two world wars and being in the midst of the Cold War. It just, there was so much discussion about modernity and progress. He was also one of these kind of post-war thinkers who was responding to the, 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 the project of modernity. But what I like about him is that he kind of gets under it with these structures and sort of tries to understand what, what, what it actually is, you know, phenomenologically. Um, so that those are like the, some of the big differences. And the other one would be um, integrality for Gebser does not mean synthesis. It doesn't mean 
um, adding up everything we've got and then ordering it, it means it means presence. And it also means that, uh, well, he described it as cystasis, which is another kind of jargon word that we, we, even if we talked about it, I don't know if we'd understand it entirely. But the, the idea is that um, the world has its own kind of dynamic living process of in integrality. The world is already whole. The human being can kind of open up to that, uh, but they don't open it up. They don't, they don't open up to it through synthesis or aggregating everything and ordering it. That kind of thinking is very perspectival and mental. It's one way of expressing, it's one structure. But the idea was how do we express wholeness without defaulting to that anymore? Because we did, we've already been doing that and it's been failing. So those are the big differences, I think. He's, he's really trying to express um, a non-developmental, non-synthetic approach. Um, that's not sort of taking as givens, you know, um, linear emergence or different lines. He doesn't have any of that kind of language in the, in the book. He has some charts, but he's, it, the funny thing is like, he's got quite a few charts and it's, it's somewhat difficult those chapters to read, but he's doing this funny thing where he's like, yeah, I know I'm delineating, I'm making these categories, categories. Let's just run with it as an exercise and then drop it. And he, and he does that very often. Like, if we're in the mental, this is how we would think of this. This is how we would frame it. And it's kind of useful, isn't it? Okay, now let's drop that and see it from this other way. So right. he's always giving you these different dimensions for even using the typical, you know, classical categorizing of different stages or whatever and say, yeah, yeah. we could see this as like an, a linear thing if we wanted to. But he's sort of calling out the structures as we're using them. And I think because of that, he's sort of freeing us up not to be kind of... Um, employing them without consciously realizing it you know and that's the hardest thing i think for us and he admitted this constantly we're mental beings we're perspectival beings we'll, we'll constantly be struggling to inhabit this new process oriented um embodiment in the world that isn't all about sort of a big map of everything so but it'll be very tempting to do that um so those are some some of the differences. I don't know if that answered all. Uh, no, well, yeah, yes, yeah, for sure. No, I, I I was just remembering the the podcast with with Bonita Roy, and I think she used the example that you can engage with the uh, with the piece of art, you know, painting, and then you have like this experience of presence and wholeness, and but you're not judging, and so you 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 can go to the next picture and have the same experience again of wholeness, but you're not going back into this respectable thinking where you draw differences. Yeah. And, and the big thing about that is this capacity to not compulsively spatialize our meaning, right? So Gebser describes perspectival thinking as, as spatializing thinking, that it orders things in a kind of an abstract spatial grid or as higher or as lower um, or as delineated in these sort of striations. Um, and it really kind of enjoys that kind of thinking. It sort of inhabits that naturally. It, it equates being with sort of space, spatialization. Um, and this is something that we've really kind of developed over the past two, three thousand years. But um, integral thinking would be, you know, if you, if you encounter a cave painting in Lasso or Chauvet, it wouldn't be to spatialize that and kind of go, oh, that was 30, 40, 50,000 years ago. And they didn't have science back then. And, and they were very superstitious. Um, there's a part of you actually that can sort of be in that space with the beings who made that art. There's actually, right. it's the insight with Gepser. You, the distance 
that spatializing consciousness has made um, that allowed modernity and allowed individuation and autonomy and a self-sense and all that stuff, um, that can be, we can free ourselves from needing to always be in that. We can inhabit the other modes of being that make us up anyway and that we've sort of become unaware of because with the mental structure um, as sort of the, 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 the later structure, we, we've kind of moved away from those other modes of being and they've almost become an unconscious. Um, they've almost become a, a kind of, uh, uh, um, well, we've become remote from them, but then also they end up kind of playing out in these sort of unconscious narratives that we do. And he describes this thing as part of why we had some problems in the 20th century where the ego and the perspectival sense of self that's d dissociated and has cut itself off from these other modes of participation ends up being a kind of inferior plaything of those same energies and powers and forces that are in us um, because they're not they're not building that relationship back with these other dimensions of being. Um, and by that, we mean, you know, a sense of the sacred or myth and the psyche and the things that, you know, right. Jung and Hillman talk about as neat, so needed for the, for the waking mental mind to be connected to. Um, so really it, it's a sense of wholeness and it's not really oriented towards development so much as um, uh, allowing presence itself to integrate in a sort of a natural forming of the whole. Um, that the human being doesn't build it themselves as if, you know, they're this architect of, of modernity that's sort of building their own future totally consciously, completely with their own will. The structures co-make us, right? They, they co, they're co, co-presentiate with us. And so um, being present allows them to kind of fold back in, in a way, and, and, and also kind of express themselves in, in this sort of dynamic process present. Uh, so... Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> no, but what what I was wondering how, at some point we we became aware of that kind of. Now I ha I'm hesitating to say process or of that kind of dynamic, M maybe that this continuous mutation, this dynamic. So and and how did gebser proposed that we deal with it as we are becoming aware of that i mean because so the, the perspective on wilbur and development so it's like very neat and very easy you know because yeah we 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 are the the agents of evolution we we can do it and we came up to this point and now we can work you know to manifesting the the ne next stage and all this is very easy to grasp you know so because it uh, applies to our Western nature, so so to speak. So, but now, getting rid of that narrative, of that overarching narrative, and looking at more at the lens of discontinuous mutation. How do you, how do you deal with with that agency you still have? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, how yeah. how does Gebser uh, integrate that agency that we are now agents of emergence, so to speak? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, so part of it is, is acknowledging, and Gebser does this throughout a lot of his work, but throughout ever-present origin especially, this, this notion that uh, the human being, for whatever reason, um, there's a kind of a mystical element to this, a very kind of Orbinian element. He describes origin as this, as presence, as sort of the the 
the wellspring from which all of these forms of consciousness have sort of brought forth. I mean, it's kind of um, a, a non-theological description for some of the same theological understandings about God or the Godhead. or, or So origin kind of has that sort of association with those meanings. But the idea is that for whatever reason, origin is expressing itself in the human being it, it it you know this the core he describes it the core or the itself a very kind of a, a contemplative way of describing it has is, is being born out through the human being and, and and we are bearing origin in history and in time and in sort of even the linear sense of time it's it's a burden to bear but it's also a joy because of the immense amazing creative things that we do with it um, but because of that because of that power within us, um, we could very easily mistake the ego as the thing that's doing all of that. So, so really, I think with integrality, he's describing this turn where the human being becomes a participant with origin or the creative or the spiritual um, in mastering themselves and sort of mastering uh, these powers that have been sort of let loose in the world, especially the mental perspectival world. And he's always talking about this notion of, of retracting, right? So the mythical world was a sort of diffuse world soul that we were kind of embedded in and magical too, but even more so. And in the mental, it kind of retracted into, into the person and became in its earlier days, a very beautiful sort of mystical intellectualism where, you know, philosophers would be mystics as well. And they would participate in the mysteries and they would use their knowledge, um, to contemplate the logos, let's say in, in, in ancient Greece, but you can find other examples around the world. So, so there's this notion that the mental doesn't need to be immoderately in control and assuming itself as the arbiter of everything. I, I think he would probably say that that's pro that's not really a substantial, that's not the substantial autonomy. You know, that's a sort of an an unconscious usage of it. So right. I think the answer of it is to sort of um, be aware of how you know hyper egoified we are and to sort of retract that and retract the mental world into the self into a much more responsible kind of co-creative um uh, participant he ends ever present origin with the lines uh, essentially um in the end we wear the whole as in w-a-r-e to be aware right we wear the whole and the whole wears us so there's this kind of mobius strip between origin and the human being where right. there's no there's no longer um um a wall between the two uh, there, we are totally the idea is to be completely conscious of it and work with it in the world but no longer see ourselves as the the supreme arbiter of everything that's the problem with perspectivalism it it assumes that the point of view even just phenomenologically if you think about like the renaissance paintings and and the style of perspective in art and everything that went with humanism as we kind of went down through the centuries we gradually became these completely anthrop we, we anthropocentrized everything right we think that the mythical world was more anthropocentric because they were projecting according to our narrative these stories of gods and everything but now we're even more so because now we say man is the measure of all things so he thinks that <laughs> that form of um <clears throat> extreme um self-sense is actually not the integral self. The integral self is a, it, it has brought in that, integrated it, but is not sort of immoderately using it out of balance with the whole. So right. sort of being open again to the whole, working with it, 
as a kind of um, uh, an agent or a co-agent of of, uh, of the world. <laughs> so, right. no, I, I always um, use um, I always use the word resonance mm. to to align myself to what's going on, and and it's you know I think maybe it has also something to do with age. I think I think I was like way more. Um, aggressive in my agency when I was like 25 or so and and as the years go by now now I recognize the value of resonance and just to see what's there and to to align myself and to use my my agency to to yeah integrate that into that into that presence yeah and you know that there are some aspects I think of, of humanism that I want to to triumph as well, just in terms of like I have that quote um, from from Pico, uh, uh, imagining the conversation between God and Adam, right? That that I uh, I've made you capable of self fashioning, and there's this creative principle um, that the mental is expressing about itself, that the human being is this creative agent, and the agency of, of ourselves, the autonomy of ourselves is extremely important. It's one of the structures. It, it's, it was born out of origin. And I think that's, that's the only, that's the underpinning here, um, to recognize that your autonomy and agency has a source that you can trace back to, but if you assume yourself as your own source, in a kind of a totalizing fashion, you're actually acting against yourself and your own wholeness. Right. Um, and so the integral human being is not only sort of tracing themselves to origin and sort of, okay, you know, my self sense, my agency is substantiated by the spiritual or the itself. Also, I'm made up of these different modes of being in the world, the magical and the mythical, right? So I, our, our sense of self even sort of intensifies and, 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 awakens to these other dimensions that have been also neglected by the mental. Um, right. So. Mm. Sure. No, I think like the, the archetypes and, and, and Jung, you mentioned Hillman and, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's hugely important to, 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 to recognize basic architectures of, of, of the psyche and of culture and, and to be, to be open for that and to, to go into resonance with that and not to exclude that, but to give them their right place if, if it's needed. So mm -hmm. And there's immense power in those uh, structures, uh, just in terms of even the mythical, like um, Gepser's descriptions of, of the, the mythical structure uh, are, he's looking at the images of, of, of the sea and of oceans and of the sirens and of the, the, the powers of the depths that Jung talks about even. So, the intensity of these structures can't be understated either. You know, they're, they're, to, to ignore that dynamic of our being is right. a very dangerous thing. And, right. you know, Jung talked about that too. We are the danger. So there is, there is this sense that doing that um, is really trying to um, uh, uh, avoid the folly of assuming that we're in control and sort of understand there's these deeper dimensions to us that, uh, right. that have more of those potencies and powers. Right. Well, I, I think like independently of, of what um, you might think of, of Jordan Peterson politically wise, I think like from, from the Jungian aspect, it's like quite interesting that he brings the idea of, of the myth and the archetypes back into, into public discourse in a way, because it's like, yeah, these are structures and we, you know, we have to reaffirm them in, in a kind of way. So mm -hmm. don't you think? Yeah, or? Uh, no, I do. I, I think that's why he's, 
likely so popular. Um, there's there's a hunger for uh, there's a hunger for this dimension of being, and we haven't really sure the counterculture has has touched it and has been kind of carrying it forward, but um, we haven't really been able to talk about this in our collective discourse and. Um, what's going on right now with, with cultural fragmentation and this sort of uh, uh, um, meaninglessness. There's a whole generation of people who are really trying to get a sense, you know, the world is falling apart. We've got uh, climate change. And then on the other hand, we have the, all these economic problems. There's a, there's a real sense that, um, that we're too cut off from the depths of things. And we go to the depths to help recreate things you know, to help, to help to bring things out from the underworld, to bring things out from the ocean of myth and reimagine the world. So at the very least, like, yeah, I, I have some issues with, with Peterson's um, narrative, but I, I see the hunger in people and what they always talk about is, well, they're ta he's talking about soul. And I think we're hungry for that sort of sure. discussion, sort of integration. Sure. So um, now there's another question I had because I, in the later parts of your book, you talked about, and, and I'm, I'm just actually starting to read that part, so you have to help me out there. Because you talk about these different stages and structures of consciousness in regard of left and right. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you remember mm -hmm. the later part? So you, you yes. talk about the, um, the, the left as being symbolic for the unconscious, for the suppre suppressed, in a way. And... Mm -hmm. and You talk, you, I, you don't actually use the word pendulum, but it's like, uh, you know, as far as I understand, as far as I've read, you or Gebsa attribute specific structures of consciousness to, to the right, to the left. Yeah. How, how well, would you frame that? So part of that narrative that Gebser is using, um, it's about how in the West, at least, and, and you know, we, we should probably... Um, uh, prefigure these statements as being, you know, Gebser was looking mostly at the Mediterranean and Western civilization and looking at kind of the history of Europe and admittedly doing that, you know, he wasn't proclaiming this is true for everybody um, and everything like that. He wasn't sure. being kind of like, here's a theory for the whole world. Um, the, the structures are a little bit more multivalent, but he was looking at the history of especially Greek philosophy and the, the history of Western intellectual tradition and tracing how they understood or what he would describe these as uh, mythologies, basically what, how myth is describing the mutations of consciousness implicitly, not necessarily explicitly saying, you know, we're transforming, but, but describing something going on through the imagery, through the movements in the imagery and the myths and so on. Um, and then, so this movement from left to right for Gebser, he's interpreting that as a move from the kind of twilight, magical, and mythic, mythic worlds, the unperspectival worlds, into the perspectival, into the mental. So this move from kind of dreaming and deep sleep into this waking consciousness is just associated with this kind of move from left to right. And he has all these examples of um, even in ancient Greece, like you enter the temple from the right and you... Um, you don't go to the left, so you move to the right. Uh, you remove your right shoe first. These little turns of phrase um, end up kind of popping up everywhere. And he associates that and even the reading of the left to the right as this, this movement of consciousness away from the sleeping, dreaming twilight world into the waking conscious world and the kind of the birth or the awakening of the ego. Um, he associates it with, um, you know, the, uh, the, the odyssey or... Um, 
or with Odysseus kind of waking up, literally in the in the text, um, he arrives on the waking shores and proclaims, "M Odysseus." So there's this association of this image of kind of waking up on a, on a bright shore and coming to self consciousness is a sort of description that he's that he's getting at here. So that's the sort of the move from the left to the right, right. Uh, and even right rect. You know, there's a kind of a linearity to it, direct. So all of these things have a kind of um, direction. And in terms of the mental, even uh, mental, the etymology of that word menace or mens means wrath. Um, and there's an ambiguity to it. If you go far, far enough back, it's related to Metis, which is, I think, um, uh, the, the mother of, of Athena. So, so it gets a little ambiguous, but that's, that goes with the structures. You get more ambiguity you go, uh, if you go deeper in. Um, but there's this sort of directionality that's emerging in the mental structure that is this movement from left to right. Um, even in the birth of, uh, of Athena, uh, you know, Zeus has, you know, he, he gives birth to Athena through, through his forehead. And it's a sort of the splitting open of this enclosed world, right? Um, and she comes out fully armored with a spear with that kind of triangular directionality um, that makes the cut. And that's the whole thing with the mental. It, it's the triangle, it's perspective, it's diuresis that Plato talks about, the kind of splitting apart or taking apart. Right. So there's cutting open, ripping open. Even the word development means develop, to unwrap. So there's this kind of opening up of something. And then mm -hmm. all these languages and, and cultures are describing this opening up of something. And then this moving forward. Um, and of course, menace and men's and wrath have these associations together too with a lot of ancient civilizations like, you know, um, uh, the Iliad, I mentioned that, and this sort of like going forth on the battlefield, right? Or um, in the Bhagavad Gita, like go forth and do your duty. There's this directionality that emerges in this mental consciousness, which is right. sort of the precursor to what we see with the perspectival pyramid in the Renaissance and that kind of final concretization of spatial consciousness of being standing in space, going forward, opposing an object. Um, and then abstractly, it ends up being kind of like the dialectic or kind of, you know, a thing can only be true or false in this sort of binary, binary form of thinking, these styles of thinking that are very kind of pinning things down into certainties that there's this, a lot of kind of aggression in this form of thinking. And it is very associated with maleness. Um, but, you know, that kind of makes sense as we've sort of been mostly a patriarchal oriented society of you know, kings and, and emperors and so on. Um, so all of these constellations come together for Gebser, just movement from left to right, and out of the cavern, out of the twilight world, into the waking world, into the perspectival spatial world that we now very much embody. Um, but the big thing about moving back, uh, you mentioned the, the pendulum, which is interesting, uh, is that as we get towards the 20th century, um, there begins to be a kind of a looking back to the left and the awakening of the left, right? The whole idea, which is interesting um, in, in modernity, this movement to the left becomes associated with progress. So there's this weird kind of inversal that's happening, right? The, the left who stand in for everything that has been repressed well, is erupting with a kind of a vengeance and an immoderation that kind of overtakes history. Um, and he associates that as well as like the machine and technology and sort of the rise of modernity as a sort of awakening of something else. Um, and, and he points to this, finally, the, the, this like style of thinking he described as paradoxical thinking, which is the capacity to kind of do both, to kind of like see this sort of directionality, but also kind of trace its, its reversal. 
And um, he quotes uh, an apocryphal saying of, of, of Christ saying, you know, if you can move the, if you can make the left, right, and up and down, it's this notion that um, in between that kind of moving back and forth, something emerging or out of that kind of spatial orientation can emerge. And he saw, right. kind of saw that as a, a precursor to integral style of thinking. Um, a move out of the pyramidic is sort of this mirror image where we're starting to get a, an awareness of that pyramid, a kind of an awareness right. of that perspectival style of thinking and beginning to invert it. Right. Um, so, yeah, super interesting that. because you, you, in your book, you mentioned feminism and civil rights and all as being bringing forth that was repressed and as being part of the dominant left narrative. I would, I would think if you are in, in that integral state structure of, of consciousness, you would be able to hold both principles in both hands at the same time and be able to go into resonance with, with the left hand or with the right hand when it's needed. W would you say yeah. that? Or, or, or how, how does the, this this duality come into play in an in integral? So I would probably say, um, as we've been discussing, like in some integral dialogue and, and, and discourse, this is idea of there's a left and then there's a, there's a left and a right. And um, there are two polarities and they kind of bounce back and they're in opposition to each other. That in itself is a kind of a symptom of the mental structure and the idea that, um, opposing something you know having a polarity of left and right and then having a synthesis that that's still the kind of the pyramidic structure right. so i think even that kind of process is still kind of in that in that loop but i think when, when gepster was talking about the arising of the left he, he was he, it was more of um uh, a, a kind of a, a process description that you know there has been so much rightward movement that there's now this there's this sort of counter energy that's been ignored for so long. It's creating this kind of um, rubber band effect where it's exploding back in the other direction. Um, but going left or right isn't really the integral thinking or even finding a middle triadic solution to that isn't really the integral. Gebser's really kind of suggesting that, um, you know, moving all the way to the left and kind of immoderately exploding with all of these potentials um, isn't necessarily the answer either. It's kind of getting beyond the left and the right as a spatial orientation to begin with. All right. Um, how, how would that look like? Well, he, he talks about um, the, the kind of, um, well, first of all, it would be integration. It would be not getting swept up necessarily with kind of the, the, the powers and the forces that come with the arriving of the left. And on the left, he also described as the um, eruption of the unconscious in the early 20th century. And he described this sort of like an interest in psychism and vitalism. And, and then in the arts, of course, with surrealism and Dada and this kind of irrationalism. So he, I think he was very cautious to, to acknowledge why those things are emerging, but then also kind of um, uh, subtly suggests that one should not allow themselves to kind of get totally carried in, in that, in that motion. Um, uh, but to try to be present and, and have that clarity and not kind of, because if you get carried away in that other, the symptoms of the deficient mental arise in it, like, um, uh, the mental has a kind of an association with the magical. So the one pointedness, right? If you are, if you're in the mental and you are taking a stance as no, I'm on the left and you're on the right and I oppose you, there's an oppositionalism, but then also you as a point, 
you as this opposing, you and I opposing each other, we become these totalizing points. And the totalizing point becomes a sort of deficient magical kind of not even thinking about how it relates to the whole. So there's a lot right. of fracturing and fragmentation that starts to happen with the perspective of a world where everybody gets their own little plot of, 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 of uh, reality and they're fighting against everybody else for it. And it's very, it sounds very descriptive of what's happening right now. Sure. Um, so, so getting beyond that is really trying to, to have this sort of clarity and a sense of presence. And um, for Gebster, the biggest part of it was understanding the structures that are at work in you. Like if you were kind of getting carried away with a totalizing view, that, that's, that's the magical because of the mythical kind of like hijacking you and taking over. So for him, it was a kind of, um, we needed a kind of phenomenological literacy and, um, and, and awareness and presence to kind of learn what's going on as it's happening. Um, and, and so that's sort of the answer he had. He also suggested that, okay, um, in his narrative and at the time he was saying maybe in ancient times there were matriarchs. Now there are patriarchs. We don't want to go back to matriarchy. We don't want to continue patriarchy either. They're both over. What emerges now is, is the whole human being, is the integral human being. That's not just a polar mythic um, male, female together, right. but there's this wholeness that emerges. So a lot of it is sort of getting beyond dialectical thinking, oppositional thinking, um, and, and, and swinging back and forth in that pendulum. It's just that's a symptom that there's these energies and dynamics at worst that, ha that haven't been retracted and right. consciously. Integrated. So, um, right. it's, a tall, it's a tall order, though, to be able to do that. It's so easy to get swept away in in, in one position or another in our time. So, uh, you know, I, I know it's it's not exactly an answer, but it's it's it come the, the imperative is is being present and trying to concretize these structures and right. at least getting a sense of what we're doing as we're doing it to hopefully defixate ourselves on it. Right. Um, so. No, because I, I think this this fragmentation you're talking about it's it's very much a, a driver to find a new way of thinking about it because the 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 immensity of the information and what's going on and so you have like far right even in, in Europe with even in, in Spain and Mallorca now Vox it's like far right movements which are basically like pre-modern and then you have like mm -hmm. uh, you have no uh, then you have like the the uh, the good left with with which the enormity of the philosophical argument I would say, um, and and the and and the the conservatives the right they basically have no philosophical arguments, so it's kind of weird. So so that the people there there's no not really a, a discourse between uh, uh, left wing intellectuals and right wing, and then you have like the authoritarian leftist views which are way out of line and then you have Trump and you have all these kinds of things and you have to wonder well what, what's going on so and and um, so so I was thinking what 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 Gebsa would say to this mm -hmm. time. just a, what 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 are we observing you know and how can we yeah. deal with that well I think a big part of it as as we were saying before is this sort of um, uh, I, I wouldn't see it so much as a dichotomy but um, the, the kind of eruption of the left is something that needs to be integrated. Um, and the fact that it is so immoderate points to how badly it hasn't been integrated. So I, I kind of, you know, I feel like that that's really at the heart of what he means about the sort of eruption of the immoderate 
left is this sort of, um, there's these tremendous things that we've sort of repressed and need to be worked through somehow. Um, I don't know what that looks like or how that translates, but right. part of it isn't necessarily focusing on the left and the right, but really kind of focusing on the, on the kind of the theater in which it's all happening, right? Which is this, um, as he's describing it, this perspectival world, which has spent the last few centuries kind of mastering itself and is so focused on atomization, fragmentation, because that's what it's good at. It's that cut, right? It's the pyramid that makes the cut. And we're always sort of splicing and measuring and, 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 and knocking things down to more and more finite levels and layers. Uh, the internet is a good example of something that on the one hand seemed to be more aperspectable, that was sort of networked and a sort of this assemblage oriented kind of thinking and style of thinking, um, but seems to have been hijacked or kind of backslid into a perspectival war of all against all, where everyone has their own little view and you can kind of, you can, you can hide yourself in your Facebook groups um, and you can only see the posts that you want to see and they're framing oh. the other person. So, so we're so unawares of the, the forms of consciousness we're carrying forward with us, even as we're very excited about these new technologies and these new connective tools and these new consciousness. It's a new consciousness that we're describing when we talk about those things in a more utopian sense, but we haven't done the work disentangling the old from the new. And that's part of Gebser's diagnosis for what's going on, what was going on in his time. And I think it's so true even for our time. Um, we really have to learn to discern and kind of call out what the perspectival world is good at. So we're not unconsciously carrying it forward in new destructive ways. And I think right. that's really the problem with, with what's going on with the internet. Like, um, or economic models right now, they're kind of, you know, everyone's saying that, for the first time, it seems like you know, everyone is describing uh, capitalism may not be compatible with ecology and ecosystems. And this idea of 3% GDP growth doubles in, in, a, in 10, 15 years or so. And that becomes unsustainable. Um, but then if we, we have to trace that and look back at what that means, like perspectival thinking, again, is that measurement is the totalizing view where it mistakes the part for the whole and then it's always measuring everything. Capitalism is an extension of, of our own consciousness in that terms, you know, in those terms that it's attempting to um, uh, 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 designate value for anything and everything in a totalizing infinite way of, of self-growth. That's the perspectival ego that's sort of run, run amok without limit. Um, so until we're really able to internalize and retract those things that we are constantly kind of putting back out into the world, um, then we, we can't really kind of move into the integral world, right? Then we're going to keep having these crises because it is more financially viable to split people and oppose them from each other and create these kinds of dynamics of cultural fragmentation and, and gain profit off of that, you know? Right. So it's all kind of tangled up. And Gebser described it as the, uh, we're living in a Janus-faced age where there's these dazzlingly new things that are emerging and they're also being co-opted by this deficient form of consciousness that tries to kind of use them to sustain itself and perpetuate itself. Um, and, and, and I'm using that as like an it, there's this, it's all in us, right? So really it begins with our ability to consciously become aware of how we're doing that and how these systems and structures that we build in the world mirror our own structures of consciousness. Sure. Once we do that, then maybe we can start clarifying and discerning and disentangling um, uh, the, 
uh, in a moderately explosive perspectival consciousness from this new aperspectival style of system thinking and relationship and sort of ecologies and networks um, and temporics. I haven't even gotten into what Gebser said about temporics, but it's related to everything we've been saying. So, um, yeah, but it's but it's difficult, you know. It's like nobody nobody argues about the horrific and negative impacts of unrestrained capitalism, for example. So, so but but on the other side, nobody talks about the you know wh why we invented that in the first place. Mm -hmm. So and and that there's a reason why we did that, and and that that it's a functional part of our interacting with each other and that could be healthy if we would find a way to to do that i mean i was i was i was i was at the bar last sunday and it was amazing like uh, it's it's a little bar here in palma and and the amount of talent there of musicians who play that's amazing for this for this little town so and and i was thinking so what what happens with with universal basic income you know so the people have a little bit more time and they all develop their talent you know, and they're all amazing, you know, because that's what happens. People devote more time to their, to, their, to, to their capacities and to their passions and whatnot. So, but then you have like a small venue and, and, and time is restricted. So, you know, you can't, not everybody can play there. It's, it's simple as that. So, so there are people who are really good and just people are starting out. And so who plays there? You know, and so there's like a natural competition of, of, of talent, so to say. And, and that's kind of a birthplace of capitalism, you know. <laughs> so, no, it's, 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 a, it's a problem, you know. It's like, and, and so even, even things like universal basic income, like they, they, they feed into the system in a way. Because like, what, what do you do if you have thousand people who are just amazing with guitar playing? You know, so you have to organize that in some sort of way. So, and I think that's kind of okay if, if there's a hierarchy of competence or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't know. And, but capitalism is now that bad thing. You know, yeah. we have a label and it's bad. So, and, and, and there's, no, there's no real discussion about, well, maybe it's, it's not all bad. And so even, even parts of, of the traditional right is like, Oh, like it's, it's repressed also, and and this always also comes back. You know, it's not it's not just that the left side is is suppressed and was suppressed, but also like what what I said that like there's no real discussion about values from from the right in a way because like you you can't you can't even admit that you know because if if you if you're not you know, in our culture, at least, if you're not left, you're like alt-right or you're pre-modern mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so I, I, th I, I think it, it's always, and, f and for me, it's always the fuel about thinking what, what can an integral consciousness add to, to, to this ki these kinds of problems and these kinds of issues we have now in, in our society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, it's difficult, but... <laughs> One of the things that, uh, that that could provide some insight is what Gebser was saying about um, the left being not just what we've left behind, but 
also what is not integrated and what is not integrated is also the future it is also a, a healthy system um, for him, you know, temporix was part of what wasn't integrated by modernity and, and the mental structure. And with temporix comes this more relational, distributive kind of whole. Um, so in some ways, you know, I think some of the answers to the problems that we're seeing kind of arising in the, on the, in the theater of, of the modern world um, could be addressed by not kind of, I don't know, uh, they're, all, they're all kind of dredged in the system and, and the problems of deficient perspectivalism. I mean, yeah, there's so many, you, you can't take a mediary point. Everybody has to be an extreme and on the attack with each other. And it's just this kind of a difficult place to exist in. Um, and, and I don't, as a kind of an integral thinker myself, I don't, I'm not always, I do associate with the left, but I don't associate necessarily with kind of like piling on somebody and attacking people on Twitter and, and, and that kind of behavior, but that kind of behavior is being engendered by the technologies that we're using that have this form of perspectival thinking that they're designed to do that. They're designed to accentuate this oppositional right. quality and this sec the segmentation. So cultural fragmentation as a phenomenon, again, is sort of being traced to this, this, this sort of underlying um, uh, uh, Douglas Rushkoff describes it as like the code in which we're building our social systems. And the fact that for the most part, our sociality, right? Our, our sociology is now embedded in consciously designed programs on the internet in virtual spaces that are completely designed by us and no longer the organic conversations with one another, you know, in long form and, and so on. Um, everything is hyper mediated, but not in a way that connects us. Right. So really a lot of these problems have to do with these in hopeful innovations that we're kind of, Oh, we're doing this thing. We're designing our systems for cultural fragmentation. We should design better ones. We should design ones that don't do that. We should design ones that encourage more long form discussions. I think podcasts. Like, yeah. Example. Yeah. You, you um, also have a podcast, right? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's called Mutations. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's just getting off the ground right now. But but th that's the that's I've always loved podcasts because they are, as McLuhan says, you know, with with electric electronic culture came the greatest of all reversals that um, things became instantaneous. Uh, so we're not kind of moving forward anymore. We're all kind of in, in this kind of conversational intertextual space, and um, there's there's a kind of a genius in it, and I think it. It, it's what is building and generating culture. Um, so so I, I think more things like this are good. And more the more we can design our social spaces like this, um, it's good. Uh, as organic, as embodied as possible, as human as possible. Right. Um, so again, this is this kind of, it weaves the, the critique of perspectivalism weaves into everything. The way we're using our economics, the way we're designing our communication systems and our technology, the, the, ideolo the ideology and the structure of consciousness we're using for all of these things needs to be looked at, you know? And that's what Gebser was trying to do in Ever Present Origin. Uh, really look at your own phenomenology of your consciousness and what you're projecting and the things that you make and design yeah. as architects of the world, because you're only bringing out what's in you. So again, it's that mirror. And I really think this is where some of these problems of nobody being able to talk to one another, um, uh, feeling alienated from one another and oppositional can be addressed by kind of talking about these things in a more aperspectival way and designing them more aperspectively. I don't know what that looks like quite yet, but I think we're seeing it in these sort of styles with podcasts. And no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm completely agreeing with you here. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, I always find it super hard, you know, like um, because I don't want to, 
I don't want to make podcasting with everybody, you know, so I have to be very, very selective, you know, and I, it has to do something with me that I'm looking for something, you know, and, and it has something to do with the world. And, and it's, and it always enriches me in a way that it's always surprising to me, you know, I always carry that with me. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enriching my, my, my subjective world. And I, and I hope I do that with the, with the objective, like with the cultural world as well, but it's, but it's work, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, now there are so many podcasts. Uh, one of my friends was discussing this uh, recently too on, on Twitter where he's like, you know, what, what's the point of making a, a podcast when there's so many that are already out there. And I, I just brought up the point that like, you know, it's like going into a city and wanting to make friends and, and, and join a community and participate in the discourse in that community. You don't worry that there's so many communities in the city. It's a cosmopolis, you know, where we've kind of got this cos- cosmopolitan network of everybody's talking with everybody else. There's room enough for you. You, you can enter the space and, if you produce it well enough, it sounds decent, you know, and, and the conversations have energy and interest and there are people who like them, then you've got yourself a little, a little culture there. Right. No, um, sure. no it's it, not, it's it, not, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not about talking like about a movie, you know, it's like for, for me and maybe, maybe you have the same experience. It's, it's a willingness to engage in a discontinuous mutation because, you know, I, I, I know you have a completely different worldview like you and and I see it and I read it in your book and it's 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 a complete different way of describing the word which is utterly interesting to me you know but enable uh, to be able to talk to you I have to be I have to be let go of everything that I know and engage with you and ha- I have to be able to 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 produce like this mutation in a way mm-hmm. and so this is it's it's a fant- and that's that's the reason why I say it's tough because you know it's 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 a it's a yeah, it's an honest um, conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I think that's sort of a, an example of the kind of dynamics we really need to practice as a culture now, which is, you know, everything's designed to not create this experience of having to engage with somebody who's different. And to really kind of step out of that requires a lot of work, as you're saying, like you really have to let go and enter this middle space and 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 find this sort of in this middle space this dialogue and a connection that can take place and i mean that's sort of 101 that's what we have to do right now with the culture wars um and it's really difficult because there's so much trained on creating that divide um that perspectival divide of opposition uh, that that we have to really kind of see that in ourselves that's been internalized and then and then really consciously work to, to get through it um you know Gebser talks about um, walls in, in, in one of the books. Uh, he's, saying, he's saying, you know, I think in German, wall means wand, right? And then... The um, what? Wall, like a wall, like a divider, like a wall. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. But then wandlung means transformation, or at least that's what he says in, in True. translation. So there's this possibility that the divide can become actually a, um, a way through, right? You, you transform through approaching this wall. It, it also in, contains in itself it's opposite or something that's not even just an opposite, a completely new mode of being. So in these, in these dividing spaces, I think that's a good way to sort of transmute them and to think more a perspectively is to kind of go, okay, we've got a lot of boundaries up, but 
all of them have these potentialities of transformation, right. Right. You know, creative ways to kind of synergize and emerge from them in a new way. And I think that's a good practice to kind of hold in mind, right, for, for our current moment. And, and sure. I think would be happy. No, you, you say something, something new, that it's always something that I'm looking for in the podcast, like this, this specific moment when the new mutation, the new move, the new form comes into, like, em emerges. It's like a tiny moment. It's, it happens after, I don't know, 45 till 70 minutes, somewhere then uh, when, when all walls are breached and, and it's like something new is emerging. And I'm always looking for that. It's like that, yeah. that which is enriching, enriching me. You know, it's, I, I always love that. So, yeah. but another thing, you, you talked about one thing I wanted to ask, um, temp temporalics, what was the word you were using? Mm. Oh yeah, temporics, yeah. I, I wanted to ask what you mean by that. Sure. Um, so this is sort of the underpinning for, for Gepser of the integral structure, but really it's, and this is what he says on the first page where he brings in origin and consciousness and time. Um, temporics for Gepser are a, a kind of a, a, a mode of looking at all of these different structures of consciousness, these different dimensions. Um, he talks about the magic being sort of timeless. He talks about the mythic being um, uh, 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 the sort of rhythmicity, a kind of organic rhythmic form of time of cycles and seasons, the sort of the time of the soul in terms of, you know, those who study astrology in, in a serious way, kind of understand this, this temporal uh, progression as a sort of cyclical thing. Um, and then the mental, of course, we've been talking about that development, clock time, un unfoldment, going in a direction, history, chronology. Um, all of these have a certain sense whether, you know, more abstractly, like the mental, um, but then also kind of existentially, because the mental has this also like times running out kind of impending feeling. Um, but the, the magical has its own sense. Each one of them can be embodied. Um, so for Gepser, the structures of consciousness are really all talking about these different forms of not only space, but also time, sort of being in the world and what the world is and how the world moves and the processes of the world. And there's different forms of time for each one. Um, but for the integral structure, he's kind of folding all that in on itself and saying that, that the integral is origin, is synonymous with origin, and he describes it as not one, two, three, or four-dimensional, but amensional, um, sort of like aperspectival, not being any one particular dimension, but somehow being able to, um, I don't want to say envelop them, because that would be a very mythical image of like an enclosure, but it's open to all of them. It presents and creates all of them in this new, this intensity that's sort of behind things. Um, it substantiates them. He says, you know, for, for the integral, for the aperspectival human being, time is the quintessential question. And then he goes on to describe all of these different forms, like rhythmicity, uh, motion, temporic, all these different forms of time. That's the integral. And he, and he does it in a non-systemic way to kind of give you the sense that it's not, I'm not trying to move you through the dimensions and then get to the highest dimension, which holds them all. That's not the style of thinking that is even useful for the integral. So um, yeah, so it's a sort of amensional wholeness and all these different modalities and forms of time that make up this sort of uh, super organism of time, this super right. time being. <laughs> okay. um, I'm borrowing that from uh, Uji, uh, the Dogen book. Uh, 
um, Genjo Koan, he's a Buddhist uh, philosopher and monk who founded the Soto Zen School, and he has this essay called Time Being. And I just love that description, that things are time beings. They're beings that you can see them through time. They exist through time. That Time has a, a substance almost to it, a dimensionality, an mm. energy. Um, and he was looking at Picasso's painting as this example of the perspectival where time, rather than the perspectival space, was being concretized um, in, in art, that uh, Picasso's images were, and again, he was writing this in the, in the 40s, and he knew Picasso personally. They were, they were buddies, apparently, uh, or at least good friends or associates. And um, he describes Picasso's images as sort of, they're looking at you, they're looking away. There's this, there's this somehow he crystallized movement in a still image. And that was the idea that time as a dimensionality is the, is the core concern of the integral structure. And that it has been for the past few hundred years, increasingly the concern and the anxiety um, of, of the modern world, you know, between the awakening of the left and this sort of historical project of progress in modernity um, to the kind of runaway technological innovations starting with the industrial revolution that have that they have a feeling of sweeping us forward uh, and he has this description of that because he's saying that's not really time isn't this thing that's sweeping us forward it's not a linear thing but since we're so mental that's the experience that we're creating for ourselves by trying to right. master time through the mental time will not be mastered through the mental he's saying time can only be mastered through this new integral structure and so as we're trying to master time through measurement, through clock time, through segmentation and striation and progress, time will constantly burst our systems of knowledge and our systems that we try to master it with. It'll run away from us. So it's this kind of force or dimensionality. It's a kind of existential situation that we live in. And then it's also this sort of spiritual energy in a way. Um, and so it's all these different things. And it's really the, 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 the core interest for Gepser when he's talking about integrality or a perspectivity. Uh, it's what kind of allows you to be present. He's saying, you know, time it, presence opens us up to these different dimensionalities to time. And that the right. present is actually part, that's sort of your key. That's sort of how to navigate this new world is to be present rather than trying to move forward. That's not going to work. You're going to go faster and faster until you fly apart. It's to be present. And that simultaneity is something that not only Gebser talks about, but Marshall McLuhan describes. Um, and uh, when he's talking about kind of in, in Finnegan's wake and interpreting the sort of media ecologies and how the, the electronic culture human being is co-present with all the different forms and dimensions that have made up the history of human beings, a technological human being, the pre-literate sacral human being from the ancient caves, um, and then the kind of postmodern human being. All of that is now present in the sort of kaleidoscope of a person that's sort of present and not needing to move forward or backward anymore. That's right. sort of, the, mm, that's like the, that's the, the heart of it for Gebser, wow. uh, presence and simultaneity and this sort of new insight into time. Wow, I really love that. I really love that, especially in regard of, of Picasso. So, so your book, Seeing Through the World, available everywhere? Yes, Yes, uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I recommend Amazon or Powell's or Barnes & Noble, all three. Right. Um, Do you have a so, website where people can reach you? Yeah, uh, it's uh, jeremydanieljohnson.com. So jeremydanieljohnson.com. It's a long 
It's just my whole name. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, JDJ underscore rights. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you those links. And I've yes, got send me and then I, then I will um, mention them. Jeremy, awesome. thank you very much that you took the time. For of course, this. Tom. It's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.